Welcome to this Knowledge Natter by RCBS Knowledge. Here we have friendly and informal discussions with our Knowledge Award champions and those who are empowered by quality improvement in their work. Whether you're a veterinary surgeon, veterinary nurse, receptionist or member of management, quality improvement will and can positively impact your everyday life. Listen and be inspired. Hello and welcome to this RCBS Knowledge Natter. My name is Lou Northway, Quality Improvement Clinical Lead here at RCBS Knowledge. Today I'm very excited to be talking to one of our RCBS Knowledge Award champion teams. Um, I will be speaking with Director of Veterinary Nursing, Purdy Welsh, and Teaching Fellow, Neve Clancy, from the School of Veterinary Nursing at the Royal Veterinary College. Without further ado, hello ladies. Well, first of all, Lou, thanks so much for inviting us. And um, I should probably point out at this point that um, Neve and I are just two of a of the of the bigger slightly bigger team who are involved in in this. But anyway, I shall get going with, with who I am. I'm Purdy Welsh, um, and I'm a veterinary nurse. Um, and my day job is that I'm the director of veterinary nursing at the Royal Veterinary College, um, and I'm also the course director of the Postgraduate Certificates in Advanced Veterinary Nursing courses here at the RVC. And I'm Neve Clancy, as you said, start. Uh, I am an anaesthesia nurse at the Queen Mother Hospital for Animals, so the RVC's big referral hospital. And I'm also the uh, teaching fellow of veterinary nursing, uh, School of Veterinary Nursing, and deputy co-course director for the Certificates in Advanced Veterinary Nursing. Bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yes, uh, and I've been a veterinary nurse for quite a while with the RVC now as well. So you both do a lot by the sounds of things, very <laughs> busy people. <laughs> Lovely, so um, I thought we'll start just by going over really your journey with QI both, both individually and um, from the RVC um, in particular, so please share. Um, okay, well shall I, shall I kick off Neve? Yeah, with, go for it, um, yeah. So I guess um, in around 2020 as as you'll know, Lou, that the RCVS restructured the framework for post-registration advanced qualifications for veterinary nurses. And I really wanted the RVC to be part of offering this career development opportunity for, for veterinary nurses. So um, we set up the certificates in, in advanced veterinary nursing and applied for and received RCVS accreditation. And we're excited to welcome our first intake in 2001. And at the start, um, we offered two pathways, one in anaesthesia and analgesia, which Neve um, created and runs, and one in emergency and critical care, which is looked after by um, another colleague of ours, veterinary nurse, Lynn O'Byrne. Um, and very excitingly, this year, we've also welcomed our first cohort of medical nursing pathway students, um, and they're being led by a medical RVN from the Queen Mother Hospital, Gina Parks, and a medical specialist vet, Barbara Glanerman. So these are part-time online courses that last just over a year, and our stu students sort of learn more deeply about their chosen pathway topic, obviously. But importantly, they have opportunity develop to develop leadership skills that they can take back to their practices. And really, it's about enhancing patient and client care and smooth running of the hospital and the, and the practice that they're, they're working in. So I know I don't need to convince you, Lou, that yeah. quality improvement and clinical governance activities um, are really essential activities in clinical practice. Um, but I suppose they're relatively new in the veterinary profession. And although we'd heard of them and we knew that we should be doing them, many of us, I think, in the profession were never talk formally about what it actually involves or how to do them. 
So when we set up the course, the CERT AVN course, we really wanted to give our learners the opportunity to gain confidence, to lead on aspects of clinical governance in their own practices, and also to be able to train others if necessary, and, and also importantly, to disseminate their findings, not only to their colleagues in their workplaces, but you know, also to the wider veterinary community. So, yeah, so to do this, they're in their first AVN module, they're taught about clinical governance and in particular, how to carry out clinical audits and how to undertake knowledge summaries. Um, and then they design, set up and run their own clinical audit in their practice as part of their, as part of their coursework. Yeah, it's really brilliant. And what has the feedback been like from the students when they're faced with like, this is their first module? Are they a bit like, oh, you know, this isn't this isn't something that nurses do, is it? And then are they pleasantly surprised or what's the feedback been like? I think for at the very, very start, because obviously they will initially do Purdy's modules, which are fundamentals and advanced veterinary nursing practice, where they'll learn about doing clinical audits. And I think obviously me being clinical myself, I think they're all dying to get to the anesthesia part. And I think what happens then is they leave the fundamentals, go into anesthesia, and then they realise that they have to kind of put into practice the plan that they made of their audit plan. And I think initially at the start, when they start off doing it, I think they feel a bit, how does this play into my anesthesia stuff that I'm doing and and everything else like that? And I think actually by the end of it, they realise the impact that doing these clinical audits really can have in their practices. Mm. And and I mean, I'm a convert myself when I first when we got involved with this course and Evie had already set up these um, summative assessments so the clinical audit being part of our, their assessments and I remember thinking oh I'd much rather there was something like another anesthesia patient care report or something but I was like I'm completely converted done a clinical audit of my own now and everything in the QMH because I do think and from what the students say to me is that the change they can make in practice particularly in a topic like anesthesia where it often feels like as nurses we don't get a, a say because it's mm. the vet who prescribes the drugs where I think for a lot of them we've managed to get them to have their say, but by using information that they've gained from their clinical audits and then having an implementation stage that's not necessarily changing the doses of a drug or the drug they're giving, but they've been managed to kind of, let's put it away, get what they want <laughs> by doing their yeah. clinical audits. So I think it's it's really empowered them. And I think they've definitely felt empowered and particularly to students. We have some students where they have three of them all from the same practice doing this course. And I remember this was in 2022 London Vet Show. The three of them came up to me and they were like, I was like, does your practice hate me? And they were like, no, actually, <laughs> our practice is so happy and like everything's changed for the better and like all the other nurses feel really empowered as well. Yeah. So I think it's particularly in a subject like anesthesia that it can often feel like nurses don't get a say. And I think this really does help with that. So I think they've, by the end of it, they love it. But through the trials and tribulations, maybe not so much, but yeah, it's like everything. I was, it, yeah. I was chatting like, to a student. Oh, sorry. I was, I was just saying, I was chatting to a student this week who's right in the middle of it. So their current cohort will be submitting in in September their final clinical audit reports and she was she was you know a bit stressed about writing the report up and the reflective part of it and um she was just telling me about her audit and, and she'd started off and I think she had something she was looking at pain scoring um post-surgery and she said that in the first audit round I think it was something like seven percent 
patients were being pain schooled and re recorded as pain schooled. And then she did her intervention, which was some, some sessions with the practice. And then it's gone up to something like 65%. Really and yeah. I was like saying, my God, the, you know, the, the impact yeah. of what you've done. Do you see that? And she, yeah. she hadn't realized until we were chatting about it. I said, what do your practice think? And she was like, yeah, yeah, they want me to kind of share my results. I was like, that's amazing. Yes. But for her at the moment, she's so in the thick of it. I think that's the interesting thing about that. it for the coming up with the implementations as well, because I think that a lot of the implementation stages of all the clinical arts that we have are education. And I think that's it's true for most things. You can change a form, you can change this, you can change that. But at the core of it, there needs to be education and the importance of whatever the topic is the that you're auditing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think then for a lot of them, they were weren't aware of the impact that just having one chat with someone can really have on on the changes in practice as I, said, I did a clinical audit in the QMH about pain scoring as well and that was one thing that I noticed is the a group of different areas that definitely came to the talk their area they have improved drastically in the in the pain score and they get deliver whereas other areas that might not be able to come due to like scheduling conflicts they are not haven't haven't as, as improved as the other departments have so I think it's super interesting to see that education is a huge part of any implementation stage of any clinical audit and as um Purdy said getting that information out across your practices or submitting to the RCVS knowledge as well is a really really important part of it I think yeah and like the share, like you say the sharing element of doing mm. the audit audit has the biggest impact and say widely on the profession like pain scoring such an important area yeah. um and it's so welfare focused isn't it as well um yeah. and it's actually something that I've been auditing in my practice month on month this year as well and mm. we've improved month on month as well but it just makes you think about like if it's not being performed why not is it confidence is yeah. it because the sheets always run out so accessibility is it time what it, what yeah, are the factors exactly. um yeah. and it can make just such a big difference um, so going back to sort of subjects, what the students have covered, could we go over some of the others, the other yeah. areas that have been looked at? Yeah, definitely. I think we we tend to get, particularly in anaesthesia, runs of themes, I'll call it. <laughs> so our first intake, there was definitely a theme towards hypothermia, which again, obviously we had a chat at BSAVA this year, didn't we? So we know the importance of hypothermia and, and anaesthetised patients. So there was a huge drive towards that and there was loads of clinical audits involved in that. And it was very interesting to see all the different implementations that different people did doing the audit. So that was really, really great. Um, and obviously makes such a difference to your anaesthetic and is very nurse-centred part of mm -hmm. anaesthesia. Uh, and this year there was a huge drive towards um, filling in of pre-anesthetic checks, so like the ABA checklist, and um, doing ASA grading as well, uh, recovery handovers. So stuff that you, I, I think a lot of the time in anesthesia, people wouldn't consider the importance of that, but actually it's got a huge importance and the ABA are doing a huge drive with their checklist as well. So I think it's nice to see the themes that come up as well, but obviously my heart will always lie in pain scoring things. So I always love it. So last year we had a pain scoring one for ophthalmology, um, ophthalmology patients and this year we had one just a generalized for canine post-surgery patients so I always find them really interesting reads because it's such an area where we don't have a lot of research about it in pain in animals and um, particularly if you're going to do cats even less but I think it's super interesting for those ones and Anna Costa who works with us in the QMH she did that really really great one which was about low flow anesthesia and its impact on the environment and how as a hospital as big as the QMH could reduce their environmental impacts as well. Mm. But 
but I shouldn't talk only about the anesthesia ones. I love that one though. That one, I, <laughs> so I got really good, excited when yeah. I read that one because I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, because you know everyone puts their circle onto three and then forgets that it's exactly. on three and it's yeah. just wasting everything yeah. and spitting out ISO into the environment. It's, so, yeah, like, it's yeah, funny you should really say this. Impactful. I was uh, a friend of mine was anesthetizing a um, a tiger the other day. And she, yeah, I know. And she was asking advice about stuff. And I was like, oh, I was like, it's just a big cat. But she was like, oh, I'm going to put it up really high in the oxygen. And I was like, but you're using a circle. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, go down to half a litre. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, there's some really good ECC ones definitely as well. So um, Sam McGall, who mm. got um, honourable mention at the awards, she did hers on uh, nutrition, which in uh, ICU patients in the QMH. And I thought that was really, because... I'm Irish, so I'm a feeder. I feed everything on recovery from <laughs> anesthesia. So I'm always giving things chicken when I shouldn't be. But um, so she, her one was really good because it was just looking at a general RER. And I think when you have those intensive care patients, it's so easy to overlook something like nutrition when you have lines coming out of every vessel possible and ventilators and things like that. So I think it's that was a really good one. And we had Illy who did one on um, indwelling urinary catheters in neurological patients. Um, so I, th- I was really amazed by that one as well. That was really interesting. Yeah, she re- reduced her complication rate or infection rate by 20 percent, didn't yeah, she, no, by developing so a new SOP and doing training. I was like, yeah. this is fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And particularly in those neurological patients where you want to reduce their time in the hospital. And I think that's a, like a really important thing of all these QI initiatives that we're doing as much as we want to keep them in hospital because I love cuddling them. We need to get them out of the yeah. hospital and up and, and moving and, and out as quickly as possible. So anything we can do to, I mean, reduce hypothermia, gets them up quicker, out of the hospital quicker, reduces infection. It, for any of those neurological patients who are trying to get over having a spinal surgery, having a urinary tract infection as well, it's just going to prolong that stay in the hospital. Yeah. So I think of all these initiatives that people have done, a lot of it is actually just reducing healing times, which is such a nursing based aspect towards veterinary care, I think. but maybe some vets would think differently I don't know. <laughs> the other angle I thought about the um, indwelling urinary catheter one and infection was about antibiotic use so if you could yeah. reduce your antibiotic use as well because your patients you know are not getting urinary tract infections from their indwelling catheter then that's yeah, ex- brilliant as well isn't it so yeah. it's such a, a it impacts so much wider than we initially think yeah and what have you thought about the projects that have come forward Purdy on this on the um, qualification uh, it's been amazing. It's been um, really, really inspiring to work with people when they're coming up with their ideas. And also, I think it's important to point out, you know, some of the ones we've mentioned have been nurses who've been working on referral practices, but we've also had some great ones from primary care practices as well. And and that's what the, that's the kind of beauty of clinical audits and governance activities. It doesn't matter where you work. So, yeah, you know, the ones where people are looking at for example, record keeping and, and the, you know, how the extent to which um, particularly sort of hospitalised patients, the record keeping of hospitalised patients, the extent to which that is forms or um, records are being kept and filled in properly, paperwork is being filled in properly. And then again, with those implementations, and as Neve said earlier, a lot of the implementation or the intervention is having practice meetings or chats with people and and mm. kind of spreading word and, and the message across and just coming up with some of the the you know it's that thing about it not being a blame this isn't mm. about identifying individuals or situations that are necessarily bad but it's about improving 
situations and everybody learning from that. I definitely think one of the best first first opinion based ones that I worked quite a lot with was one of our um, 2021 intake students and initially she wanted to reduce the amount of methadone these bitch spays were getting because she thought that was what was making them nauseous mm-hmm. and making them hypersalivate and need neuropathy some recovery and, and maybe even before being induced for anesthesia and I think it was through talking with her of going you know as nurses we can't really tell the vets you have to give this amount kind of thing so further working and developing and getting to spend mm-hmm. so much time with the students over what was essentially a year is getting to kind of work through their projects with them and eventually what we decided on what she decided on was um fasting times for these patients and actually it turned out that they were on talking because there's bitch base coming in mm-hmm. so they're not things that you have complete control over when you feed them or not and some owners were feeding them at 6 p.m and then not feeding them and then they weren't getting um induced for anesthesia until 2 p.m in the afternoon mm-hmm. and then they were hypersalivating and possibly nauseous and needing roptin so they reduced their um, fasting times by telling owners and following and also following the aaha guidelines and giving a very very small meal four hours before a small bowl of wet food and they reduced the need from Roptin by like, I think it was 50% or something, wow. a massive mm-hmm. drop in hypersalivation and signs of nausea in these patients. So I think that was a really good one on a first opinion basis of even something as straightforward, not straightforward, but something that we do every, every day. Like well, every day. Yeah. yeah. Something like a bitch, but you can make such a difference in your yeah. planning of these patients. And I think that's why QI is so great because we are, we I think it's possibly wrong to say we're sort of like programmed, but you get so used to doing things a certain way over mm. and over again, year upon year, but mm. actually it helps you stop and review how actually you are doing. Yeah. So like when we spoke about earlier pain scoring, you know, is our analgesia appropriate? You you may find out that actually it's really not, but unless mm. you're measuring it and doing things about it, you can't know. Well, I, I so I think that's the really interesting thing about going into any of these audits. So I went into the audit in the QMH and pain scoring with the initial plan of thinking oh I want to see if a patient who we've got set limits of when you get this intervention or that intervention of analgesia and I was like oh I want to see if a patient who pain scores seven is getting the same as a patient who's pain scoring 12 because our, mm. we have a cut off with that so that was what I started off doing and much like that that student started off seeing trying to see what the nausea was caused by I was trying to find out if we were treating our pain adequately but then it turned out I realized very quickly we weren't really pain scoring them that often so therefore it's like you you learn to adapt very well Mm. when you're doing these QI things to realize that your plans might go completely differently and we always teach the students don't think that you know what your implementation is going to be because you don't know what your results are going to be yeah so it's always because they come to us with their plan and they think oh and my implementation I'm going to do xyz and we're always like hold on you don't know what you're going to find so um, you get that? that was like Tanya so Tanya who works in in um, a practice in Northern Ireland in Belfast I think she started to she wanted to assess the incidence of complications associated with feeding tubes um, in hospitalized patients and then during the data collection she realized actually that there was inconsistency with the team with the way notes were recorded mm. on the hospital chart so actually she what she then did, her implementation was actually different because it was about, um, I think she introduced a kind of a protocol that was standardised to re- record the checks that were being made on patients with O-tubes. And then, yeah, so then, of course, on the re-audit, when she looked at it again, there was a there was a, a, a great improvement in the way information was recorded on those on those feeding tube charts and that's the the nice thing again you can you know that then potentially 
in six months time you could revisit that either looking to see that that's still maintained or you could look at this sort of go back to okay let's now look at the comp go back to the original idea of the audit yeah. which in, in Tanya's case was to assess the incidence of complications so yeah. they're sort of movable they're a bit flexible which I think mm. is you know they're not when you start that process you can modify it if you need to based on what's needed in the practice yeah and it really opens up your mind doesn't it because like you say when you start a project you think a to b that's where you're going <laughs> but actually yeah. with qi it's you have like a spider's web of things by the end mm. and i sometimes find i have to really rein it in because i think oh actually i could also be looking at this yeah, <laughs> so. when i first started collecting my data for the clinical order i had Oh, an, an a mess of an Excel sheet, which had so much information. I had information of, did the patient have a block? Did have this? Did it? And then by the end of, because I was getting about 100 patients, by the end of the 100 patients, I was like, did it or did it not have a pain score? I'm cutting back all the information I have because I've got far too much. So I think it's so easy when you have tap into that ability to gather that information within your practice to overwhelm yourself. But it's it, as much as it's adaptable, you have to still keep a very clear set in your mind of what am I trying to achieve here and yes that what you're trying to achieve might change but yeah you can get overwhelmed by data and want to find out everything so I think doing smaller little projects focusing on one particular thing but do lots of them over however long you're working in the practice is always useful. Yeah and I wondered whether we could also touch on the leadership side of um, the course because you had a you have a leadership module don't you um, and some of your nurses on your course commented that with with QI alongside the leadership really helped them feel like they could make a cha like change in practice so could we touch on that a little bit yeah I mean they have um so it's not really a, a leadership module it's part of that the the first module that they do on the course we call it it's got a very long-winded name it's fundamentals and advanced veterinary nursing practice and it incorporates um evidence base and um clinical governance I, we also cover stuff about the code of conduct and keeping within the law so and also leadership so we have topics within a module and leadership forms part of that first module we have some some theory teach some theory associated associated with leadership models and leadership sort of behaviors and those kind of and mm -hmm. students are encouraged to think about their own style that they might develop and, and way of doing things so at that point we we encourage them to kind of start thinking about themselves as leaders and identify areas of professional interest that they're passionate about so that look at their values and, and how that ties in with what they might like to lead on in their own practices and then in that module part of their the assessment is to come up with their clinical audit plan so they write a plan for their clinical audit and we ask them to disseminate that to their colleagues as part of this developing that kind of leadership skill um so that they're telling people about what they're where you know the the literature why they've come to this decision for auditing a particular topic um and try and get people on board and um particularly for those practices that aren't involved in in the doing clinical governance activities or aren't as familiar introducing change can be challenging and so we talk a little bit about change management and get them to think about how they the best way for their practice um, to introduce a topic and an idea for change. And what um, themes came through the knowledge summaries? Were they very similar to the audit topics that they also did or did they do sort of like completely separate things? I think some people, yeah, so, some people did, some people didn't. I think for certain 
topics I think as as we said before there's so I'm gonna say so little literature in veterinary but it's only in comparison to humans is what I'm saying but for certain areas there's particularly even less literature so the students I think it's hard to find a PICO question that fits directly completely into your clinical audit for every single person and then even after you find the PICO question for that it's then finding the literature to answer your PICO question so one of the requirements of our course is to do the knowledge summary they have to we let them kind of take in from human literature and from veterinary literature which might be different to you know uh, RCVS knowledge um, knowledge summaries so it's slightly different because that would be more driven just to answer the PICO question and I think uh, it was a hard going for a lot of people because the knowledge summary is obviously a big chunk of work to do particularly in the time frame of what we've given them in the course so now we've slightly adapted it to make it a little bit more um, friendly let's say and welcoming <laughs> call them um, but it was a big body of work but we a lot of people did try and do it around their um, clinical audit topic so we spoke about earlier about Anna's low flow anesthesia one hers was a particularly interesting one because it was taken in from because you can in that topic because it's low flow anesthesia it's not based around small and uh, small animals uh, versus humans so she could take in from human medicine and there was so much interesting things about um low anesthesia and summarizing the knowledge behind the benefits of it so for that she could then use what she learned in her knowledge summary as part of her implementation stage for the education part with people mm. she had learned so much from doing it mm. and i think when i didn't do a knowledge summary but when i was like doing clinical audit stuff as well I looked into what way would be the best way to encourage people to use pain scoring systems and through doing a knowledge search like that I found out that education improves the use of pain scoring systems in non-verbal humans and um, so it's quite interesting in that and mm -hmm. a lot of the hypothermia things as well that the students did their knowledge summaries were on about does the use of uh, a hot dog blanket versus a bear hugger improve um, perioptive temperatures and canines or whatever so the, there was some really good things that came out of that mm. so a lot of them tried to do it but there was some that were just so hard to actually find lit literature on mm. and obviously for an RCVS knowledge knowledge summary you can just say there is no knowledge here is the gap but for us and in, in, in this course we need them to be able to review and critically appraise some literature in order to pass that module so I think it was a bit hard to try and fit everything into uh, what they wanted to do for the clinical audit but I in my opinion I think probably about 90% of people did do it on a question related to their clinical audit and um, there was just some very few that it just couldn't fit very well, unfortunately. Yeah. They just struggled then for it. But yeah, I'm sure it will really inspire nurses though to actually consider performing their own research as well, because they think you well, know, look, going looking for stuff that's not there, and then hopefully mm. they'll feel inspired to lead their own research projects in practice. Yeah, so. definitely. I think fingers this is crossed. one of the things. With, yeah, exactly. One of the, they always fingers crossed for everything. But one of these, the, uh, one of the things was the ophthalmology ophthalmology patients. And there is no pain scoring system that's just for eyes, that's validated kind of thing. Now, that is something that would take years and possibly a PhD to create. But um, I think one of the nurses who did that was now in talks with some of the senior anaesthetists and ophthalmologists at the QMH um, about maybe developing that. Mm. But it, I think it's now gone to be part of the anaesthesia team more than ophthalmology. But I think that's, as you said, that was showed a real gap in knowledge and a, a gap in um in literature that we have so I think that's been something that's kind of inspired a lot of people in the QMH to think oh maybe this would be a nice project for someone to do. 
brilliant. And um, reflection for veterinary nursing in general now, we're encouraged to reflect on everything we do. And I think that's why QI just works so well, because you will end up walking around in practice every day thinking, hmm, I wonder when we last looked at this. <laughs> Are we being effective? What could we do better? Um, but um, my, my colleagues sometimes tell me to rein in a bit because, oh, should, we, should we look at that? Should we do another audit? Like, no, we, we're doing enough at the moment, Lou. <laughs> so, well, we you say that, but the, those three students that were in that practice together, I, I, as I said at the start, I honestly was terrified that their boss was going to hate me. I want to go uh, there. Uh, I want to see what it's like. <laughs> well, this is the thing, because it, it was so interesting, because that was, I think that was the nausea one as well so it was nausea hypothermia and uh or pre-warming so it was kind of related to hypothermia there's pre-warming and then there was something um using different blankets so it's like you guys must have streamlined your anesthesia in like your first opinion um patients and they were like yeah it's great and they're like we're going to do it on this and this next and and well one of them did also say to me she was like i'm trying to convince my boss to buy it was it no i told her she should get a ventilator but she's trying to convince her boss to buy her something else but she's <laughs> going to do an audit for it instead to to show that they have a need for it and I was for like it, yeah. this is what we do to get what we want yeah. <laughs> that's what you have to do you do absolutely I did an audit a few years ago looking at um, adverse events in anaesthesia so we only had one multi-parameter at the time um, so and often we would have more than one patient anaesthetized so we'd always have to prioritize who was going to have the machine who was called Colin just for reference <laughs> and um, <laughs> so every time the machine highlighted something that I wouldn't know with my hands-on nursing skills I, I recorded that basically so I said you know mm. out of 100 patients I can't remember what it was now but a large proportion had something I couldn't know just with my hands-on monitoring skills so how about all of the other patients this week you know how many of them would have needed intervention which we've missed because we wouldn't know um, and then after that they um, got three more multi-parameter monitors so every station in our primary care practice has the works but that's the way it should be yeah. isn't but it? also but again even thinking about that and like what I was saying earlier on I think sometimes it can be hard to convince people the importance I guess of or being able to notice those things and react to them and and sometimes as a nurse it can feel like you're finding problems but actually <laughs> you, what you probably yeah. notice is when you do interact do react and you find that information you react to that information your patients recover quicker they spend less time at one-to-one -one nursing your nursing staff is free to do other cases and move on case to case and you, you I know it's not about money but you generate more money in that way as well and yeah. actually it's better for the patients so I think that's it's getting people to see a bigger picture of what you're actually doing and I think QI is really good at that seeing like this is the bigger picture and actually when you do see those improvements after your implementation of your patient's care and recovery times it just I think makes such a difference to the practice and everyone's kind of eyes open go oh, this is great yeah it's really motivational isn't it yeah. and also I think it massively enhances culture like the nurses you were just saying the three of them in practice I bet they are a force to be reckoned with but yeah. I'm sure everyone's talking everyone's open everyone's sharing ideas um, and that is the time of practice you want to go and work in <laughs> yeah exactly yeah definitely lovely well thanks so much for spending time with me this afternoon I thought we could finish just by if you would share with us your top tips for nurses that are thinking of maybe doing the cert AVN or for QI oh okay well definitely nurses thinking about this, doing the cert AVN definitely recommend it it's a great course we've got great module leaders with Neve, Gina and and um it gives you so much more than just the, as we've been discussing, so much more than the advanced knowledge in the pathway topic that you're taking. Um, so please get in touch with us and, you know, we'd be very happy to chat to you if you've got any questions. As 
as I suppose top tips for others maybe starting their QI journey. I think if you're new to QI and in particular, you know, carrying out things like a clinical audit, my tips would be to go for it and don't be frightened of it and have some fun experimenting, particularly at the start. Sometimes they're talking about things that are quite big and unmanageable. So I would say start off small and focused um, and have something that you're interested in or have a real passion for. And things like, for example, starting off with a retrospective audit, looking back at clinical records to see if there's any patterns in particular areas could be a nice one to start off with. Or, you know, I don't know, looking at number of post-op wound issues, for example, or the number of records that have been filled in fully. I Again, I mentioned earlier, but, you know, I think it's important to point out that audits aren't about identifying or assigning blame to people, but they're about the team learning how to do things better or more effectively or more efficiently to improve patient care or client care or, you know, the smooth running of the practice. And, well, VNs are ideally placed people in practice to lead on all aspects of this. So I think it's a real area of of potential growth for veterinary nurses and career development um, or just making the working day more interesting. Um, And it's a great way of building up knowledge relating to veterinary nursing issues as well. So, I I mean, I think there are lots of documented barriers um, to clinical audit. And so I think it's a good idea to be aware of these. One of the things that's always cited is lack of knowledge and skills and confidence in the process. Um, But the thing is, there's loads of great resources out there and structured programmes like RCAVS knowledge pages. I've got lots of stuff and I've got the short courses and there's courses like the CERT AVN that we run at the RVC where we teach, take people step by step through the process and give people the chance to practice. Um, And I I think think probably, oh, so I was going to say people probably worry about the lack of time in practice. So busy and particularly increasingly in clinical practice. It's crazy. So I think yeah, starting off with something straightforward and uncomplicated to get that gain that confidence and skills is a good way to get going and show how they can be fitted in alongside other clinical activities. Yeah, um, I do think as well that a lot of times there as RBNs, there was a lot of us and SBNs who we don't feel like we're leaders. And I think that's it needs to be shaken out of us a little bit mm. because actually I think every single RBN that I know is in some way a leader in something that they do anyway. And I think it's it's that um, inner leader that needs to be just dragged out with them and something like a clinical audit can actually really do that for them. And I think I spend a lot of time with the students doing the CERT-AVN and the anesthesia uh, designation saying to them, like talking to them in the language that then they can take that language and bring it back to their practices. And, and a lot of them have said to me that they they knew what they wanted, but they just didn't know how to use the words to to describe it or to, you know, get what they wanted. And now they're finding, so these are the students who are just now finishing up their anesthesia designation. They're saying, oh, I was able to have a debate with a vet about using a particular drug. And there's, and they already knew before they took this course why they wanted that drug. But now they've done the course and now they've got the language and they have the clinical audit behind them to prove why they want to use a certain drug or do a certain thing. And I think that's a really good thing about it. So leadership skills will develop as you do QI initiatives. So that's my top tip to not think that you're, I'm not a leader or I'm not the head nurse in my practice or I'm just a first year qualified RVN. It doesn't make a difference. You'll develop leadership 
skills. And then obviously, if you come and do the cert ABN in anesthesia, you'd have me as your uh, <laughs> as your little cheerleader. <laughs> so that would be my re your reason for coming to the cert ABN. But I think, yeah, a lot of people, we just need that inner person to tell us that you can do this and you are a leader and you are capable of doing it. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. People probably feel a bit intimidated or don't really know how to get going. So um, those of you listening, I would recommend you log on to the RCBS Knowledge website. Have a look at all of the case examples because it walks you through all the different types of areas that you could look at. Um, and, and yeah, step by step. So you could literally mimic that, shadow that in practice in, 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 and see how your team is doing um, and then make changes and go from there. Um, and if you ever need any help or support, the RCBS Knowledge team are here also. So ladies, yeah. thank you so much. I thank could talk you. to you for hours and hours and hours <laughs> more about QI, but this is only a short natter. <laughs> um, but thanks yeah. again and congratulations. I hope you all feel extremely proud. You should be. And um, hopefully we'll talk again very soon on something else. I'm yeah, surprised you kept us you. this short of time. I would have waffled for ages. Yeah, Neve can talk for Ireland. I'm oh, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to add in that, you know, actually winning the, the Knowledge Award, the RCVS Knowledge Award, was the icing on the cake for us. But it's been oh. such a pleasurable, and it is continues to be such a pleasurable experience seeing the students, our students transition with their and their journeys with QI and in particular the clinical audits. So, um, yeah, thank you for letting us share that and for also, you know, the, the, the fact that the Knowledge Awards kind of helps spread that message and hopefully encourage lots of other veterinary nurses out there to get involved. Yeah, well, your course ultimately by embedding QI in it has so massively positively influenced nursing and they are, have then got out into practice and spread it even wider. So, it, you know, it's a, a full circle, really positive thing. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. Please share it with your colleagues and friends. If you would like to find out more about quality improvement and access our free courses, examples and templates, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcbsknowledge.org.